Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Hello and welcome. Very excited to be here for the Mind Gym's half-year results and delighted to share with you, first and foremost, a little bit of a reminder of why we are here and why people predominantly choose to invest in Mind Gym. Uh, and yes, in part, I'm delighted to say it's for the regular trading updates and the results that we deliver, but more and increasingly more, it's for the opportunity that sits ahead. And so I'm going to share a little bit at the beginning about the opportunity that we have uh, in a market that is vast. The human capital market is in the trillions. The corporate learning and development market is in the three or four hundred billion dollars bigger than the GDP of New Zealand. Uh, and yet there is no scale player. And so what I wanted to do was to short, talk with you a little bit about the opportunity that we have, how we're approaching it, uh, why we see a chance to be one of the few scale players in this market, uh, and how we're progressing on our journey. Uh, by way of brief introduction, you've already heard that I am Octavius Black, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dominic Neary, our uh, esteemed CFO. I started Mind Gym at my kitchen table 23 years ago, and I'm delighted that Dom started his Mind Gym career just about a year ago, and we are a flying and forceful team. So on that note, I'm going to talk a little bit more about, as I highlighted, the opportunity that we have at the moment. So the market is vast. There's no scale player in it. And what we've done is developed a three to five year strategy to become one, if not the, the main scale player in the corporate learning and cultural transformation market. Uh, and we've decided to do that with a plan that's funded through organic growth. So we have a strong business built over 23 years. We've been growing significantly with a bit of a blip over on, on COVID, um, but we're now very much back on track and gaining momentum. And we use the profits that we've generated to invest in the strategy to build the future. Uh, and I'm delighted to say we're on track both with the strategy and with the trading results. So moving on to briefly summarize the overall market opportunity before I hand over to Dom to talk us through the half-year figures. Broadly, this is how the market works. And the market is organizations, usually large organizations, that usually have large numbers of employees. And what they need to do as the chief HR officer or the chief learning officer or the chief cultural officer on behalf of the CEO and the board is address a wide range of issues. It could be about conduct with the compliance and ethics and creating the right culture because the regulator has required this. Or it could be about increasing the diversity and inclusion because that's a strategic priority and also because there's pressure from, from stakeholders of all kinds. Or it could be about leadership or well-being or a whole range of a panoply of challenges that organizations face and that are only getting greater as the demands on organizations and how they behave goes up the agenda and the shortage of talent increases and therefore the ability to retain your talent and to grow your talent becomes ever more critical for strategic advantage. Now, the way this is done is that organizations tend to do these things in silos. They tend to take one issue and address it often with a number of different providers and suppliers. And as a result, there's no coherence across the piece. If you're an individual leader or manager or contributor in an organization, you are bombarded by different initiatives and activities, and you can't necessarily tell the wood from the trees. 
it's quite hard to know what you should be focusing on. And therefore, people tend to sometimes zone out, or sometimes try and do everything and find that there are inconsistencies in what they're being advised to do. This also leads to significant waste. You, know, you may have a courageous conversations module for speak up in compliance and ethics, and also have one in account management and dealing with tricky clients, and also one in performance management. And each may be slightly different with slightly different messages, and you certainly don't need to keep having four, five, or six of them. And the biggest consequence of this is there is no consistent data. So no one knows what is or isn't working, where to direct the investment, or have the ability to personalize and customize the experiences to the person who needs them at the moment of need. So let us imagine organizations are spending $50 million, could be $100 million, could be $150, across a whole range of providers, hundreds of them in, in many cases. So that's what's happening now in organizations across the world. What we imagine is going to happen and what organizations tell us they would love is to integrate this, to make sure that the content from one is supported by the content from another, that the journey an individual goes on from when they join and onboard as a graduate or school leaver right through to when they get elected to the C-suite is consistent. So what they're learning and developing has a red thread that runs through it and that what they discover in one place helps them in another and that this is all fueled by data that they have an ability to understand what is going on in different parts of the organization and therefore focus their investment in the right place. And that individuals are being served the content that they need at the moment of need. So there may be significant cost savings from this. We've imagined a 20% saving in costs, but rather than giving it to 100 plus providers, it goes to one or maybe two primary providers. And it is our vision that we create MindGym so it becomes one of those one or two primary providers. So that's the context. That's what we're setting up to achieve. And with that note, I'm going to pass on to Dom to talk a little bit about our immediate results and the momentum that we're building in order to fund this strategy. Dom. Thank you, Octavius. So as Octavius said, um, during the first half, we've seen continued progress strategically, operationally and financially. And I'm going to move on to the financials now. So during the first half, we saw revenue growth of 11%, which was 2% constant currency. So a significant impact of FX there. What you're not seeing there is that there was significant progress quarter by quarter. So the first quarter was significantly impacted by Omicron, and that was actually minus two. But in Q2, that the in constant currency, we were plus 6%. So significant and continued growth there. I think another key factor there is the FX change, which is obviously helping us both in terms of revenue and profit, uh, feels like it's a long-term impact, which obviously has advantages going forward. As we move on to PBT and EBITDA, you can see a return to profitability. The EBITDA metric is up 1.2 million on prior year, which includes the impact of ongoing efficiency. And so the difference there is we're also in PBT absorbing about half a million of amortization of primarily performer for the first time. So up 1.2 million EBITDA versus prior year. As we move down to CapEx, you can see there 2.2 million. That's down on prior year, 300,000 of that is due to office fit out in the States, which we don't repeat this year. But also there's a reduction in spend in CapEx itself on our tech development. And that reflects organizational improvements, which have reduced the cost and improved the effectiveness and speed of our tech organization. And we'll be coming back to that in the product roadmap later. And finally, the cash balance there. We continue to have a strong balance sheet. We have an untapped 10 million debt facility, which is obviously not being used at this point. There's a short-term increase in accounts receivables. 
which has largely reversed itself now as at the end of November. That was caused by the phasing of both sales within the month and also the significant increase in sales from Q2 versus Q4. So we anticipate that cash balance growing for the rest of the year, which is in line with our expectations. Moving on to regional performance, you can see there an actual growth the US benefiting significantly from the impact of FX, but also underlying growth there coming through. The EMEA region that shows a minus 2% growth. The actual sales organization for EMEA is actually flat. That's minus 2% is the impact of um, activity which has been billed out of the US, uh, but is actually driven by EMEA clients. The EMEA sales organization there flat. What is quite interesting, though, is because of the FX impact, there's an increasing gap between US and EMEA salaries and costs. And that is something that we're already looking at, but obviously offers significant opportunity for leverage as we grow the business. As ever, we have a very strong client base. So we have a large number of clients. We're not beholden to any one particular client. Also, just as importantly, we have a very diversified industry base. So whilst there are obviously clients, uh, industries that are are struggling a little bit at the moment, there are plenty uh, which we can pivot into and we are doing so in commodities um, and some areas of technology um, which are helping us. That number will slightly change in the second half. We're going to be coming back to some very exciting frameworks which, which we've secured in the first half and which will impact the second half and next year. So that's good news, increased growth, and will have a small impact on the breakdown of that chart going forward. And then moving on to the product mix, the most notable change there is the growth of DNA, design and advisory. That is essentially back to normal levels. And we'd anticipate that growing in the second half because of the framework deals that I've talked about in the past. One other point that's quite important to point out is that there's been some growth in in in-person delivery. So historically before COVID, something like 70% of our delivery was in-person. MindGym has a strong track record in-person. It has nearly 400 coaches in more than 40 countries around the world. That represents the significant strength to us of that ability. So whilst we don't see in-person returning to pre-COVID levels, that competitive advantage, because our competitors will struggle to deliver those globally at scale, and we have a proven track record in that, is a significant advantage. Financially, the pricing of in-person versus virtual means that we actually generate significantly more revenue and gross profit for each individual delivery, although there is a small impact on gross margin percentage, but absolute profits are benefit from that. Going very briefly to have a little bit more at cash flow. So opening cash was 10 million. So there was just over 5 million decline by the end of the first half. The key drivers of that were the trade and other receivables, which has, as I say, largely reversed already. That was a one-off timing impact. You also seeing there the impact of paying out of bonuses. That was actually significantly less than last year. And then you're seeing the investment in CapEx in our roadmap, which we'll come back to later on. What we do see is that we anticipate improved cash coming from growth and reversal of the receivables balance in the second half. So we're anticipating growth in cash by the end of the year. And moving over to Octavius, who's going to talk more about our framework agreements. Thank you, Dom. I'm very excited to share with you some great news. But in the past, if we had won a million pound account or two of them, we'd have been swinging from the chandeliers with excitement. Uh, This year, I'm thrilled to say 
we won a framework agreement in the region of £10 million over the next 24 months. It's with an energy company, which is obviously good from a counter-cyclical perspective. There had previously been a small client we worked for, one of their subsidiaries on a safety project, but not much to shout home about. But we were included in their pitch process. And I'm delighted to say that of the strength of our IP and our team and our understanding of their needs and our flexibility, they've chose us over many of the incumbent consultancies and business schools and others that they knew better, but didn't rate as highly. Uh, this is predominantly around two areas, culture change and leadership development, though they are also asking us now to propose how we could help with well-being, with diversity and inclusion, with onboarding, and with a range of other areas too. Uh, that's not included in the, in the 10 million framework agreement. So we're really thrilled by this. We think it's a great opportunity to make a lasting impact in an important organization and also to demonstrate our ability to operate at a different scale and size from what we have done before which gives clients the confidence they can make that kind of investment and our team the confidence that we can operate at that kind of level. That isn't the only significant framework agreement, though by certainly the largest. We're delighted that we've won a number of others. Electronics Games is a, a very different industry altogether. But this is the second electronic games company in the States where we've won a seven-figure deal. In this case, around $3 million over two years. This is a brand new client to mind, Jim. And then another field altogether, quite different in mining. This is our second significant mining plant in the seven-figure amount. Here we're dealing with very tough issues about bullying and harassment and misogyny and generally very inappropriate behavior. And we're helping them address that as a cultural norm and changing the way that managers and individuals think and behave in this respect. And we're really excited to be doing this important work as well. So here we give these illustrations of three framework agreements. They're all already revenue generating um, in H2, so that's positive. And um, the first two, at the very least, will go into next year. Uh, and the third one, we suspect, will build from where it is currently at, which is a, an urgent task uh, to build to something more sustainable and longer lasting. So we're feeling really good about the momentum that sits behind this. I'm really confident about the proposition we have is a winning proposition for a range of industries, a range of needs, and at a higher scale than we previously experienced. So all in all, we're, we're feeling the momentum is behind us and things are heading in a good direction from a trading perspective. But as I said at the beginning, uh, most of our investors are delighted by good trading, but really focused on the strategy and the opportunity to create something many, many times larger than what we have today. And so I wanted to share a little bit more about our strategy and the progress we're making towards it. We've talked in the past about the behavioral change platform, this integrated approach that I mentioned at the beginning. And a, a way of looking at it is imagining the individual leader, manager, employee who works in the organization and how we make sure that the experiences they get, both the content that I talked about earlier, the ethics, the well-being, the leadership, and also the distribution channels the one-to-many, which are like our workouts and our go-larges and our summits, the one-to-ones, which is our new performer product, the on-demand, which is our e-workouts and other new things we have coming to provide digital assets to people, the diagnostics, which more in a moment, and things like nudges and boosters and missions that are all designed to be in the workflow. And the idea is that all of these are integrated using data to serve the right one to the right person at the right time, because we understand them from the diagnostics. We know them better from the live experiences and what they've tracked and found useful on the on-demand. And therefore, we know how to tailor information and guide them in ways that they couldn't possibly have in the kind of one-size-fits-all approach 
with many organizations, many sizes, trying to fit all the approach that exists at the moment. And driving both of these are vitally client relationships. And we're delighted that we work with over 60% of the FTSE 100, over 50% of the S&P 100, and that's growing all the time. And our job now is to deepen those relationships as we started to do with the framework agreements I just mentioned and set these organizations up so that they are in a place where they can adopt this behavioral change platform. I mean, the second thing that's really important is to keep innovating on the IP. We have proprietary market-leading IP in a range of areas and with a vast array of hundreds of products that we don't stop there. We keep inventing and creating to respond to new needs. For example, with hybrid learning, we've developed a new point of view and support with all of that. And we've got more that I'm going to talk about in a moment on the way. So that becomes the kind of business model of how we approach it. So the question is, first, why? Is this the right one to be doing? And I'm delighted to say that we're really confident about this, most of all because clients say they want it, that broadly this will help them achieve significantly more and cost rather less and take less time and move faster. And who wouldn't want to achieve more with less? And they see the value of a coherent approach with integrated content. They can see the waste that's currently going on that would be removed. And they're ecstatic at the idea of having data that allows them to focus and direct investment and demonstrate what works. On the other hand, it's also really good for us as a business. If I move to the right-hand side, it creates enormous barriers to entry that are already the IP and the content we've created is hard to replicate, but it will be much harder once we are able to provide a single ecosystem that's generating data, that's giving clients insight. And it's also incredibly difficult for a digital competitor to come into what is also a live and digital space. And we maintain, because the science is so clear on this, that if you are going to change behavior in the areas that we're talking about, you will need some kind of live experience. And we also can see that digital drop-off happens unless you have a live experience to bring you back onto the platform and use it again. So we're seeing the whole dance between the, the live experience, I'm meeting someone, and therefore I need to fill in my questionnaire or do some exercise beforehand. And then I've got the glow of that great experience, so I do a bit of digital activity afterwards, and then I return to the live and that brings me back into the digital and so on and so forth. So the two are very important to work together. And that creates long-term value for all of us as investors in the business. Partly we have this fantastic asset about the employee data, which provides unique value. It moves the business much more into a SaaS model, uh, which has all sorts of advantages. And it makes MindGym the first option for new content as new challenges come up that we can't anticipate or haven't thought of at the moment. And businesses say, oh my gosh, we need, need help with that. Then the obvious place to go to will be the people who provide the content already. So that's why it works. With the roadmap, we have both digital products, and I'm going to come in a moment to talk a bit more about the ones in green. And then we also have what we call points of view. This is the thought leadership we provide on these human capital challenges. And I'm going to share a bit more about those in just a moment. But we have a plan over the next three years, and we'll build on those no doubt after that as well. But that seems a, a reasonable time horizon to be working to as we speak to you today. And the first one I want to talk about is Performer. Performer is our new one-to-one -one coaching platform that we launched at the beginning of the year. We're really excited now. We're about to publish our research paper on precision coaching, how to be an outlier. And this really helps clients understand what works. I'll give you the highlights from this research paper, and they're delighted to share copies with anyone who would like one. Broadly, the, the mode for the improvement in performance from one-to-one -one coaching is 3.4%. 
People think it's much more than that. People who've received it think on average they're going to get a 76% improvement in performance. But actually, when you use a multivariate uh, longitudinal analysis, it's 3.4%. There are a number of studies that actually say it's 0%. And there are some that even say the impact is negative. But there are also some that suggest there are some outliers that suggest you can have enormous improvements if you get the coaching right. So what we wanted to do was to understand what differentiates the coaching that really delivers the outlier high performance improvement versus the vast majority, which is possibly not much more than corporate therapy. Uh, and therefore, we've developed this new methodology called precision coaching, built by our team of psychologists, confirmed and authorized by our academic board. And it has three key elements to it. The first is solutions focused. This comes from the most evidence-based form of psychotherapy, which is called solutions-focused therapy, and we've adapted it to the coaching environment. And this is all about working out what right-sizing your goal and working out what a good enough outcome would look like. I want my team to be engaged and excited, but I don't realistically expect them to break off their golf tournament to tell their colleagues how brilliant their boss is. That's just a step too far. People aren't going to dance to work. That's an overestimation. But I can imagine what engaged team looks like. The second thing is to help close the knowing-doing gap. And we know that there are all sorts of things where we know what to do, but we don't do it. If anyone's uh, tried to take up exercise or going on a diet or so forth and it hasn't quite worked, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And again, there's really good psychology about how you can overcome that and what you can do to help people. And we have that core part of precision coaching. And the third area is mastery. And this is about getting good at something before you move on to the next thing. The combination of one-to-one coaching and mastery takes you from the 50th percentile to the 98th percentile of performance. So these are really validated. And again, if you want to read the report, you can find out more about that, that form the basis of our new proprietary coaching methodology, which we're about to publish. And that comes to life in our product, Performer. And Performer is made up of four 45-minute sessions for each goal that you choose. You choose your challenge at uh, top of the chart and select your coach. And then you right-size that challenge. You work out what good enough looks like. And then you work on it over four sessions. And what we found is that not only does the overwhelming majority think that in the 90-plus percent that they've achieved something, but more interestingly, over 30% of people who've been through this had unsolicited positive feedback from their colleagues. Now, there's a lot more to do to make more robust research to demonstrate the impact, and we'll be doing that over the coming months and years. But the early indications are incredibly positive. And we're delighted that when we look at it and compare it with the rest of the market, there are all sorts of advantages. It already it costs for a year unlimited use about the same as an hour of a top-level executive coaching. So it's designed for C-2, C-3, high potential groups, women in leadership, all sorts of things. Teams, we've had a reorganization. How do you get the new leaders to be set up for success quickly? So it's a really agile tool that works in a very cost-effective way. And it's the only one on the market with a defined proprietary methodology in which all the coaches are trained and accredited. So we're really excited about Performer. Those clients who bought it have come back to buy many more licenses, which is really encouraging. And we think that the new Precision Coaching White Paper, which we're officially publishing in January, will make a big difference and help differentiate MindGym in this market. The second area I'm going to talk about is diagnostics. Now, this is at an earlier stage. This is absolutely mission critical and has an opportunity to really pivot the whole business and relationships we have. There are broadly two kinds of diagnostics. There are organizational diagnostics, which look at what's going on across the company, team, division, and there are individual diagnostics, which help you understand your own psychological profile. 
Now, we bought the world's leading individual diagnostic 10x, and we will be launching that in due course. It's going to be a really powerful tool in hyper-personalizing. But we've started our diagnostics journey with organizational diagnostics. And this is really important because it allows us to change the nature of the journey that we have with our clients. At the moment, the client comes to us with, we know what the problem is. Can you help us solve it? Or we think we know what the problem is. And they may have brought in another company to do the diagnostics. They may have done it themselves. And then we have to try and fit the solutions we've got to the results from their diagnostics. Maybe quite a little bit of effort to bring those two together. We also have to persuade the client that rather than getting the diagnostic company to try and come up with a solution, which many of them will claim they can do, they should be using us instead. But with our new diagnostics, we come in and we shape the need. And that makes us a strategic partner. We help the clients understand their own business better and work out where they need to focus their energies in order to get the maximum result. It also dovetails neatly into our solutions. So our inclusion diagnostic will dovetail into the four cornerstones of our strategy. Our well-being diagnostic, which is in development at the moment, incredibly exciting, uh, fits very neatly into the five drivers of our well-being culture and well-working, which is our new approach, which we're soon to publish. So the diagnostic and the solution will tie in neatly, and then we'll have a much better chance of being able to measure the impact. We come back and re-measure and say, how have things moved as a result? At the moment, there's very little measurement about impact, mainly because the diagnostic company has disappeared, the client is potentially onto the next thing, and there's no flow. But this flow will allow us to create the data which shows the impact that we have. But we have sold one diagnostic already on culture to an existing client, and that's going to be run in Q4, which is exciting. But we've been beta testing the well-being uh, uh, diagnostic, which is absolutely thrilling because it helps identify different states of ill-being and well-being from, if you like, imagine at one stage, the fragile thriver who is uh, loving their work but overwhelmed and could burn out any moment, but you won't necessarily spot it. So on the other hand, the person who's boring out, who's doing the day job very competently, but is absolutely fed up or will probably leave quite soon or is just um, quietly quitting. So this ability to understand gives the ability to prove and demonstrate impact, to focus efforts, to be a strategic partner, and to customize it in tremendous personalized detail. Which brings me on to the third area that I wanted to briefly talk about, which is our new point of view on well-being. Well-being is already a $50 billion market and destined to grow. And we're very excited that we have, as ever with MindGym, a distinct point of view, which basically says that where people are focusing as organizations isn't working. And we have a lot of data to back this up. You'll be able to see it in our new well-working report that comes out probably in March with some teasing highlights in January and February before we get there. But I'm giving you the preview now. Broadly, there are three things that make up our well-being, personal factors, what we're born with, life experiences, life outside of work, sleep, diets, our state of our romantic relationship, whether our sports team has won or lost at the weekend, how much exercise we're taking, and then life at work. Is our boss a pain or a delight? Are our colleagues on our side or trying to undermine us? And by and large, companies focus on this borderline area where they try and provide yoga and apples and Reiki and all sorts of other things to improve our life outside of work. And basically, it makes no difference at all. In a massive two-year study on 80 measures, the 78 of them did not move on those who took part in the 18 different well-being programs from those who did not, including BMI, sleep, and heart rate, and so on and so forth. So we are really clear that the key is to focus on life at work. The U.S. Surgeon General actually just made an announcement to that effect a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and what we've done is identified the five key drivers that you need to focus on as an organization to create well-being at work. And we have built a diagnostic around these and a series of new solutions 
are being developed at the moment to help address them. So we're really excited about this new market. It's an example of the innovation of the bottom row of the product roadmap I shared with you just earlier. So you've seen two examples from the top, one from the bottom here, and you've also talked about the precision coaching white paper, which kind of blends the two. It is both new IP, new point of view on what works in coaching, and also supports our digital product performer. So in brief outline, we are looking good and feeling good and excited about the outlook for the full year, which remains unchanged, despite some quite heavy economic headwinds, most notably in the US, where we observe that US organizations respond very quickly when there seem to be some concerns. They've reduced budgets, canceled programs, delayed things. Um, but we also notice in the US, they're much quicker to come back. So if things aren't quite as bad as they thought, then they'll re-engage earlier. So at the moment, we are experiencing some headwinds, but we're still uh, globally feel we're on track for our expectations. We have one, a number of significant frameworks, which gives us real confidence about the future. Uh, we are on the cusp of launching organizational diagnostics, which is going to be a great opportunity to become a very different kind of relationship with clients. And we are launching new access, new budgets with our new points of view. Uh, leadership we did in the first half, the leadership regained why leaders are in a funk and, and how to get them out of it, um, and precision coaching and, the, and well working coming up very shortly. So altogether, that's the summary of Mindjim at its interim stage, a, a clear strategy to become a market leader, delivering on that strategy and delivering on the financial results to fund that strategy. Thank you. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.